What's up, everybody? This is Elliot Terrell, and you're listening to Magical Thinking. Our guest for this episode is Sean Eric. Sean is a magician from Ohio who traveled around the country as a busker, studying and working alongside great street performers like Cellini, Bob Sheets, Johnny Fox, Tom Frank, and more. He grew up in Ohio and has been performing magic for over 30 years. And in the episode, we talk about busking, travel, passion, and the difference between distraction and entertainment. Sean and I met at the Magic Castle a few months ago, and I was surprised and delighted to get to spend some time with him at the Golden Gate Gathering in San Francisco. It was such a pleasure discussing magic with him, and I know you're going to enjoy our conversation. If you haven't already, sign up for our newsletter at artofmagic.com. That way you can stay up to date on the amazing things that we're doing, including our new ambassador program. By joining the Art of Magic ambassador program, you get access to exclusive content. Most recently, Pasteboard Animations, the video that got Dan and Dave started. It's their first instructional videotape on card flourishing, and there are some fun Ace Productions as well. And you can ask our team of experts to help you out when you're facing burnout or you need some creative inspiration. Find us and give us a like or a follow on all the social media channels, Facebook by searching Art of Magic and Magical Thinking Podcast, and Instagram by searching Treasury of Wonder and Magical Thinking Podcast. Don't forget to join the Facebook group as well, again by searching Magical Thinking, where you can take part in some fun conversations about art and magic and performance. It's a great time. I certainly enjoy what's going on over there. If you enjoy the show, head on over to patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash magical thinking to support the show. Again, you get access to cool exclusive content. Most recently, I put up a half hour video on how a suit jacket is supposed to fit. I take you through my closet, show you everything that I like and don't like about all the jackets that I own. If you've got a minute, head over to iTunes and find the Magical Thinking Podcast and rate it, leave a review. It helps me share the podcast with everybody, including lay people, because I think it's important that they understand that we talk about and discuss magic as an art form and what we can do to perform it in a way that does the art justice. Anyway, Sean Eric was amazing. I had such a great time talking to him. I know you're going to love the episode, so go ahead and get into it. This is Sean Eric. Enjoy. You're good? I'm good, thank you. Cool. Okay, all right. When did you start doing yoga? Let's advance the art of magic. (laughs) (laughs) When did you start doing yoga? Uh, Yoga? I haven't. Are we we recording yet? Yeah. Oh, good. Okay, that's right. (laughs) You just start. Um, I was very lucky. I started in 1988 or 89. Yeah. And. uh, I went to Boulder, Colorado, and you think we can turn that off? Yes, absolutely. Okay, I'll crank it up to seventy-seven. It gets I'll take my jacket off. Take your jacket, jacket off, okay? That'll keep it off. So, but I've been practicing since the eighties, eighty-eight, eighty-nine, and uh, got to go to Boulder, Colorado, and Johnny Fox took me to a yoga class. Yeah. And uh, the instructor's name is Richard Freeman. Yeah. And he's like one of the premier yoga teachers and instructors. And I was very lucky to uh, take classes with him. And am I speaking loud enough? Yeah, yeah. Get enough volume here? Yeah. So, yeah, I I still enjoy it. 
it was hard to find an instructor after that as good as he was Mm -hmm. so i got spoiled and then but i got i learned a lot of good basics early on Mm -hmm. and that was really nice so i've been practicing for whatever some years now what was the because i i walked in i noticed a few things in your room and sort of the way that you live your life and then also talking about uh you know the excess waste. Where, where does all that come from? How did that come about? Uh, well, <laughs> were you recording that too? Yeah. No way. I mentioned- about the kid with the Starbucks. Oh yeah, no, oh, not yeah. that part. But okay, good. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, well, I think just kind of a growing. I kind of grew up that way. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, there used to be this commercial on TV with this Indian, Native American Indian, standing by the side of the road, and these people drive by and throw their trash out. Mm-hmm. And it was like um, 70s, you know, keep our water clean, nature. And, you know, the Indian was standing there with a tear running out of his eyes because all the garbage is people are just littering and pollution. And I kind of grew up in that. I think my experience with scouting helped too. I was in Boy Scouts. Yeah, got to be an Eagle Scout. Oh, me too. You too? Yeah. Oh, that's Amazing. awesome, man! All right. I so, think you're the first Eagle Scout I've had on the show. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Well, it laid a good foundation for me. Yeah. And I love camping and nature. I still do. Yeah. And uh, really instilled that early on. And so, and uh, the social responsibility. You know, doing you know the scout oath and the scout law and all that yeah. good moral values early on yeah you know so <laughs> that's awesome yeah 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 where did you grow up where were you in, in uh cincinnati time? ohio okay yeah yeah so did you you've been friends with tom for a long time right yeah Tom. did you Frank. come up together uh this isn't he from cincinnati yeah so? yeah we met at haynes house of cards and i was 16 and he was 14 mm-hmm. and i had a car so I was able to drive us around and then uh but yeah I met him there one afternoon and drove him home from the shop and we started hanging out ever since so that's awesome yeah well how long have you been doing magic how'd you get into it Uh, at a scout meeting really yes a scout master came to our uh meeting and or a magician came to a uh our scout meeting and uh did a magic show and he I remember him doing the the card castle. Uh-huh. He took the cards, laid them out, and put the castle on. Let's see if I can turn the fan off on this. I think there's a power button right there in the yeah, center. Yeah, I'm going to... Um, and... Let's see, fan... Is that a power button next to it? So yeah, Scouts was the way I got introduced to magic. That's cool. Did you ever get the uh, Magic for Scouts book? It was it was published back in the '60s, I think. But uh, it's like a it's a book that has magic tricks with the neckerchief and like other cool stuff. Oh no, yeah, my, I saw that. my stepdad gave it to me as a really? gift. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever read the? Uh... Boys Life, uh, I think it was Boys Life. I read, had, uh, I read Boys Life, but when I was in Scouts, I think that it was a little more modern and cartoony, and not as yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. They had a magic column in there every month, I think, and teaching different tricks and stuff. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. So you got bit by the bug at a scout meeting. Yeah, and then, uh, and then when I, I went to the library, got a couple magic books. And then I looked in the phone book and saw Haynes House of Cards in my neighborhood. So I rode my bike down there and yeah. started meeting the magicians and hanging out there and learning tricks and buying tricks. And uh, 
then I got started. Then I got a book. I got like Bobo's Coin Magic was like one of my first books, and wow. that sent me off on that whole path. So yeah, it's so interesting. I think about this a lot, but like those first. That first introduction to magic literature is so important. Like most of the tricks that I do are some of the first tricks that I learned and I've just adapted them as I've gotten more, uh, as my knowledge has grown. Hmm. But like Royal Road and Expert Card Technique were some of the first books I got and I took them on camping trips. I, <laughs> as a matter of fact, the first copy of Royal of Expert Card Technique I got was uh one of the dover editions it was the like the the green the green one Mm -hmm. and it got really badly warped on a camping trip one time because some kid in our troop ripped a hole in the tent and so it was raining and it got wet but uh yeah do you still have that copy i I still have it and i love it dearly yeah Uh, i got a new copy to like read and carry around but yeah Uh that thing holds a special place in my heart oh very cool but but that that original magic literature for me uh, is still so important to what it is I do. Um, and, I mean, you do great work with coins, I would imagine. There's there's a bit of that, too, for you. Very much so. I mean, the magic books I started getting, and I was also very lucky in Cincinnati. Kenny Klosterman had a, uh, uh, a house, museum, library collection. Mm-hmm. He held, uh, there was flea markets, and he would always have a table there. Okay. So one of the other first books I got was Card Cavalcade mm. by Jerry Mincer. And uh, then we got invited over to Klosterman's house. There was a magic club. And so that early exposure to we when we go there, we get to see the library and be able to access that. And it was just great. Yeah. So Cincinnati has a great history and a community of magicians. There was great guys there. So And plus, I think Ohio... And Kentucky and that area, mm-hmm. something happened there in the 50s and late 50s and early 60s because there's a whole generation of guys that came out of there who are all magicians mm-hmm. who are making their livings with magic. You know, you got Lance Burton and Matt King. They're from Louisville and Kentucky. Yeah. And then, uh, but in Ohio, you have Jack Goldfinger, uh, uh, Danny Sylvester, um, Johnny Ace Palmer, um, Tommy, me, oh, David Williamson. Mm-hmm. We all used to hang out together at the Magi Fest. And uh, I know there's like four or five more. Oh, yeah. Alfonso. Mm-hmm. It's from Ohio. Ohio. Alfonso's here. Yeah. He's an Ohio guy. So maybe there were aliens visiting and planting <laughs> magician seeds in the, you know, I don't know. <laughs> but I feel really lucky to be part of that group. Yeah, yeah. You know, because we're all making our living with magic and... You know, living the dream and spreading light and whatever we do with our magic, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. What did you, I mean, what was what was the trajectory? When did you start meeting guys you would consider mentors? And when did you start busking and performing? And how did that so, all So, yeah, just um, at Haynes, there was a guy named Larry Pringle, mm-hmm. Paul Swinford. So hanging out there on Saturdays and going over to their houses and jamming with them. They were my first mentors. Larry Pringle, mm-hmm. and he uh, then after that since then I got a little bit older. I had a car going to Magi Fest and meeting a bunch of guys there. Um, I'd have to say that going to the very first New York Magic Symposium, yeah, led me to eventually going to see Slidini and sitting in his studio with him, 
and uh, taking a lesson on the knots. Yeah. What was that like, first time you met him? What was it? Oh, well, the first time I saw Slidini perform, I had um, I had seen some Slidini magic and I'd read his books. Mm-hmm. But when I got to see him for the first time work, I was it was very disarming because he walked into the auditorium and he's this little old man. <laughs> I'm thinking, who is this guy? You yeah. know? And I'm only like 15, 16 years old. And I thought, well, maybe... Anyway, he sat down and he did beautiful magic. And I was like, God, this is amazing. I'm just floored. Yeah. How can this be? And so uh, even uh, so after that, I became that school of magic. I started in that school, mm-hmm. reading the books. And then I uh, traveled to New York Magic Symposium. He was there. Bunch of guys, Jeff McBride, Jay Sankey, Bob Fitch, all those old guys. were Not old guys, but they were all there. Yeah. And... Um, then I then when I eventually from that school of Slidini, if you read one of his books, there's uh, all these letters to him, and one of those letters is from Richard Sullivan mm-hmm. Cellini. Yeah, and so and also that first Magic Symposium trip, Tommy and I took our tray jack and our suitcases out on the street. Yeah, and we're street performing in oh, New York cool. City. Oh, cool! That's amazing. Yeah, well, <laughs> it was amazing because my first busking experience basically was. Me doing the Marlowe's SOC coin routine <laughs> on a suitcase top, you know, on somewhere on the street in New York. And the cops come by and I got a few people around and the cop comes by and he watches for a few minutes and takes his bully club and says, bangs my table and says, pack it in, kid. You suck. Right? <laughs> it's like, okay, we don't want to get in trouble here. So, yes, sir. I'll put my stuff away and carry on from there. But um, then we went back and saw some other street performers and then I went. Then and then, like the following year, Tommy was going to New Orleans, and mm-hmm. and I was like, he would call me up late at night, dude. I made so much money. I'm hanging with Cellini. I'm like, oh, dude, really? How old were you guys at this time? Well, now that was I was like 17, 18 years old. Okay, and he was sixteen. Yeah, he took off. Wow. And, uh, if it wasn't for Tommy Frank, I probably would not be a professional magician he inspired me so much so i quit that job and eventually took a bus down to new orleans yeah and met cellini myself it was the weekend before mardi gras oh my god i'd wow. roll into town on a bus and threw my stuff in the locker and walked toward the french quarter looking for the magician and there he is on jackson square and uh, which is the best place in new orleans jackson square is the best right by the cafe pontalba yep he's right out front by those flower pots facing and i show up and i said uh Hey, uh, Slidini sent me. I'm here to study with you. Oh, really? You know? <laughs> yeah, who are you? <laughs> so I ended up staying there three months. Yeah. And, and I practiced with him, and he taught me the basics. I had, I had, known, I had a good base of magic knowledge, uh-huh. but I did not know how to work the streets. Yeah. So he taught me how to stop a crowd, you know, color, sound, motion, and then how to hold the crowd, do a show, and then how to get the money. Yeah. You know, and that became a formula rinse and repeat and there was other street performers there too and um uh it was kind of intimidating because you know these guys had huge crowds yeah. on jackson square and me i would just walk up and do my little shows and make my money but i ended up staying there for three months through the jazz festival and then we all then a few of us me Cellini, and stuartini all drove up to uh to Atlanta for the Piedmont Arts Festival Mm -hmm. and then Tommy was there so we got to work this festival together in Atlanta and then from there we went to New York City and Boston Wow! and uh, that summer and that was crazy summer and uh, (laughs) 
from there, after getting in all that trouble <laughs> with those guys, um, I came back and uh, met a girl, and then we moved to Arizona. And mm-hmm. so that's when I made the jump west. Okay. A, you know, a geographic back to Arizona, or over to Arizona, because I had always dreamed about, you know, the sky, the stars, the nature, the yeah. hiking, and, uh, and uh, plus I had this girl, and she wanted to, she had told me stories, she had lived there before. Yeah. So we went to, that was in 86. 86, I came to Arizona, and I went to a Tempe for a street festival, uh-huh. and I saw, I'm doing my show on a Friday, and this guy comes up, and he says, hey, you know, who are you, and where is this looks like Slidini stuff, and you know, where'd you come from? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, well, this is who I am, and you know, I'm a student of Cellini, and so I go, really? Well, come out, my name's Johnny Fox. Come on out here tomorrow. I'm going to be doing shows tomorrow. It's like, Johnny Fox, okay, cool. Well, I don't know who you are, but that's cool. That's, yeah. you know, and so I met this guy. Yeah. The next morning I went out. It had been raining. The streets were kind of wet. Mm-hmm. It's like 10 o'clock in the morning, early for a festival. I walk out there, and this guy's got a huge little circle going, huge. Just not real thick yet. Yeah. He's just getting started. He did coins, cups and balls, and I'm like, wow. Yeah. Got a nice crowd, morning crowd. Then he breaks into the sword swallowing. I was like, holy moly, this guy is great. Yeah. And it's a great show. And I was like, wow. <laughs> so I ended up hanging out with him Yeah. that weekend and watching shows and doing shows. And then uh, the next weekend, we went down to Tucson for a similar festival. Mm-hmm. And I hung out with him some more. And um, he said to me, he said uh, over the course of a couple weeks after those two weekends, he goes, you know, you have more potential than you know. Really? Me? Oh, wow. Thank you. You know? Yeah. He goes, if you want to practice, come up to Pearl Street in Boulder in the summer. That's where I live in Boulder. I was like, okay, cool. So that following summer, mm-hmm. it gets really hot in Arizona. Yeah. Let's get out of town. My girlfriend had a friend in Boulder. So we drove up there and I called Johnny and I said, hey, Johnny, I'm here. I'm, I'm here to study with you. And he's like, oh, yeah? Meet me on Pearl Street in 10 minutes. Click. I drive out there on Pearl Street Mall. And it's the most beautiful scene. Yeah. Nice families, evening, cool. Johnny's got a huge crowd around this place called The Pit. It's this gravel rock pit. Mm-hmm. And he's got these kids and families sitting around. He's doing shows. He's holding court right there. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And there's other street performers around too. Yeah. So he became my second teacher, you know. And um, I stayed in touch with Cellini, of course. He sure. and I became friends. I visited him in Greensboro when he opened his club there. And and then I every summer, I would just go back up to Pearl Street. And then in the fall, I'd go back to Phoenix and work and live. And I learned how to tend bar and do magic. Had some friends in uh, Phoenix who hired me who hired me and taught me how to tend bar and do magic there. Gene Urban is one of those guys. He's a veteran, you know of that school of bar magic yeah that came out and uh that happened and i so i attended bar and did magic for a while one thing i wanted to mention here i just had you know being on pearl street and being a street performer there with johnny there was so many other performers there Mm -hmm. and i was so intimidated yeah same thing in like jackson square all these other performers and and Cellini would say, don't worry about what other people are doing. You just worry, worry about your show. Yeah. So I carried that with me. But when I went to um, out west and I met Johnny, I had to slow down a lot. My show was like... Yeah. So I had to kick it back and really relax and learn how to work slower. But in, in Johnny's house, there was a little sign that said, the forest would be... On, the, the forest 
Yeah, the forest would be awful quiet if only the best birds sang. It's like the forest would be quiet if only the best birds sang. Yeah. I've got a little song here too. Yeah. Maybe I can go out and sing my song and do my thing. Yeah. That gave me a lot of hope and that stuck with me and it just enough courage to you know, go out there and keep working it. Mm-hmm. So pretty soon I did Pearl Street for like four or five years. I was Johnny's gardener. Yeah. He called me Chauncey Gardner. <laughs> and I would do odd jobs. And then he let me stay in his garage. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, I lived in the little loft up in his garage and had a, started working festivals around Colorado and got to go to Aspen and meet Doc Eason and the whole Colorado gang. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole community in Denver. Got to meet those guys. So Denver Busker Festival. I got to work that event. So that's... The street scene and how that unfolded. Yeah. So, what? Uh, how many shows were you doing a day? On a good day, what, how many shows did you do? You know, six, eight. Yeah. How long were your yeah. shows? Twenty, thirty minutes. Okay. You know, so. What kind of crowd were you pulling? Um, it. This depend. is no time for modesty. Yeah. No. <laughs> it was. It was dependent on the event, and sure. uh, I think you know some crowds were really nice. Like the Denver Busker Festival was really set up nice. Mm-hmm people came out to see the street performers and so i was drawing really big crowds and i was making hundred dollar hats yeah and that felt good yeah i mean that's a lot for me some guys can do that easily and they're they're, they don't even work if they can do that right (laughs) me and then other hats like at the atlanta piedmont festival yeah draw a big crowd of you know 40 50 people and make a three dollar hat yeah it's like what is this well you know it's all part of the learning experience Mm -hmm. you know so um, just had to keep going and so it depends on the situation and the streets were very difficult became very difficult to work so I only started working festivals mm-hmm. and then um, when was that? when did you make the transition? well after the, like, the mid 90s because uh, Cellini moved to Europe he moved okay. to Switzerland and he kept telling me you gotta come over here and check this <laughs> out so 92 I think it was Johnny took me to the airport and sent me off to Zurich told me where to go and Cellini lived there. He picked me up and I started working in Niederdorf and I had a Eurail pass and I started traveling all over Europe with my table and my bag and my hat, earning all different kinds of money. Wow. Every country, you know, and it was great. From Rome, Zurich, all the way down through Northern Italy, down to Rome, over to Paris, around Nice. Great shows in Nice, really nice by the ocean. Um, yeah, I had this Euro pass wherever I would go. And just all over Switzerland. Swiss money was so good. The Swiss francs. Mm-hmm. Paris, up to Copenhagen and Oslo, Norway. Wow. Down through Germany. German money was not so good. German marks. <laughs> and French money was no good either. Mm-hmm. You know, all these little coins that were just centimes and it's like, <laughs> just throw them away, you know? <laughs> so I did that for like two summers, two, two summers, and I came back again the third summer. And visiting with Cellini, and that first year it was a experience. It was a great historical experience. The first year I was there, when I showed up at Cellini's school, he had a little school there called the uh, Zauber Centrum, a little neighborhood of Zurich called the, uh, um, you know, in the Orlikon. Me, uh, Rocky, Sunny Holiday, okay, great busker, Eric Evans, okay, Crystal Sinclair, okay, plus Eric's wife Dawn. And Rocky, there was a, I think there was like six or eight of us, five or six of us. We all stayed in different rooms at the school. It was a big warehouse. 
So we every morning we'd all get up and congregate in this main classroom in this office. Yeah. Have our coffee, talk about the night, work on stuff, and then in the afternoon we go our separate ways. In the evening we'd all race down to the Niederdorf, and we'd do shows. Yeah. And at one point there was like four of us out there doing cups and balls. So I eliminated all the balls. I yeah. was like, I'm not going to use little balls at all. I'm just going to show the cups, juggle the cups, and then load them and reveal the loads. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but then we'd all come home at night yeah. and we'd count all our money. How much did you make? Oh, I made more, you know? <laughs> so it was competitive. Yeah. But that summer, it must have been 92, I think, that's when the Royal Touch book evolved. Eric Evans was doing all these illustrations of Cellini explaining mm-hmm. all of his effects and that book is beautiful if you haven't seen it The Royal Touch know. by Eric by E.M. Um, e. McFalls which is Cellini's first wife she actually wrote the text for, oh, wow. uh, for that book it's a beautiful book and um, so yeah that was great history there and uh, going to Europe and living that dream and then I came back and had a kid in 94 got domesticated and started working private gigs around Phoenix and Scottsdale yeah and festivals continuing that yeah how did your uh, how did your performance character transition from the street to the private gigs (laughs) not very well (laughs) (laughs) I had this you know very edgy street character kind of scruffy snarky um, smart alecky kind of quick-witted character yeah that would work in the bars a little, you know, somewhat. Sure, yeah. But even that was, I had phased out the bar magic by 94. I did like three or four seasons of it there at the uh, in Carefree. And anyway, when I started working private corporate gigs and stuff, I was not as temperate as I should have been. Mm-hmm. I did. I was doing the bra trick at corporate parties. Yeah. And it would fall flat, <laughs> you know. And I was like... What's wrong with you people? <laughs> what are you, a bunch of Republicans? You know, it's like political and just, uh, it was inappropriate. Yeah. So I had to tone it down and I'm still learning how to do that. Mm-hmm. How to not push edges or buttons or... Yeah. Because on the street, that's the beautiful thing about the street. Yeah. Is you can say and do anything you want. And you learn immediately whether they like it or not. And who cares if they like it or not? I'm yeah. going to say what I want to say. Yeah. And you add a little alcohol on top of that to loosen that tongue. And man, I was off. You know, yeah. I didn't want to, it didn't, uh, it was, it was, it was adventurous <laughs> to say the least, you know. So anyway, I'm growing up a little bit now and I've kind of toned it down and I've made the transition now into the corporate markets pretty nice. And yeah. I can go to home parties and, you know, people don't have to worry about me, you know, doing and saying inappropriate things and nicer now so, <laughs> so but I guess I got a couple of beautiful women to thank for that you know my woman in my 30s and then the woman in my 40s and domesticating and family life has really kind of toned me down so yeah. it's nice yeah. <laughs> it's amazing yeah I, I asked because I was just talking with uh, Derek Hughes recently about busking um, and he, he he mentioned he's like it's I've I found that it's tough for buskers to go from the street into either a theatrical setting or a, a, a more private event setting because it is kind of an aggressive thing. And uh, yeah, so I just wondered what your experience of that was because that's sort of what you've done. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that because on the street, I know I, I picked up a lot of bad habits. 
Oh yeah, like what? Yeah, just attitude mm-hmm. and um, an aggressiveness that sure. didn't need to be there. These people aren't gonna, you know, when you go into a private gig, they're not leaving. Yeah, they're not walking away, so I don't have to, you know, engage on the street. It was more a desperate attempt to hold the people there and hold their attention and keep them engaged, mm-hmm. which is a good skill yeah. to have. But on the street, it can be a bit edgy sometimes and. There's a certain desperate, hungry attitude that goes with it. People don't like that. So even on the streets, for example, Theron came to see me one time at the Tempe Festival, mm-hmm. and uh, I said, "What do you think? You know, can you give me some feedback? You know?" And he's like, "Yeah, you seem like you're working too hard. You know, you're trying too hard." Cool. Thumbs up on that one, man. I feel it. I am working hard. I'm trying <laughs> harder to do the. Anyway, so I just kicked it back. Yeah. And the Zen came in, and it's like, okay, let it be what it is. Just let it happen. Uh-huh. And then the rest of the day went a lot smoother. Yeah. So learning these little lessons through the day, the streets are a great place to be bad. They're also a great place to learn how to connect with people. Mm-hmm. I think that's my best skill now. When I go into a, a, an event, trade show, or a business meeting, or a corporate event, party, I know how to draw people together. And I know how to interrupt people, mm-hmm. you know, in a nice way. And um, I know that some people say, oh, your you know, table magic is like being a professional interrupter or strolling magic. Some people are not comfortable doing that. Yeah. But I have a real, you know, gentlemanly way of doing that now. I feel like it's, uh, it's assertive, but yet not aggressive. Mm-hmm. And uh, I still work in a restaurant now. I've been strolling magic for three years at this big place in Phoenix. They serve, you know, it's a... Very big restaurant, steakhouse. Yeah. And um, so learning how to work the tables again and running tables and interrupting at the right moments and, you know, engaging people and yeah. connecting with people and then involving them and entertaining them and giving them a special moment mm-hmm. has uh, really been refined for me the past few years with that experience at the restaurant. So yeah. I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. That's cool. What, how how are you approaching a table? Hi, how and are I don't, you? I, yeah, I, yeah, I don't need your lines or anything, no. but just like, what's the... Well, it's a Western place. Mm-hmm. So I have a Western character kind of put on that I can kind of put on. It's uh, And uh, it's kind of a down-home, you know, welcoming kind of thing. I act like I'm the host. Yeah. I act like I own the place. Yeah. You know, I just walk up to people and talk to them. You know, good evening, folks. How are you doing now tonight? You know, if I, I, especially if you walk by a table and you make eye contact with somebody, mm-hmm. uh, if it's just a couple, you know, it's really a little easier to, especially if they're on both on cell phones. Yeah. I say, excuse me, folks, are you guys texting each other? That is so sweet. We really appreciate uh-huh. that. You know, I have a little interaction with them, but a bigger party, one person, if one person makes eye contact, I'll walk over to that table, just say, hey, how you guys doing? I'll only talk to one or two people before I try to engage the whole table. Sure. You know, and just kind of like Armando was saying last night, you know, walk around, be visible. I don't have to walk around and do the the art, the juggling, but I can walk around. I got a hat, you know, I'm by, I I walk like I'm a host, I walk on the plate, good evening, hey, how you guys doing tonight? Yeah. Everything good? Yeah. You know, dinner? Yeah. First time here? You've been here before? Let them answer. Yeah. Engage them. Listen to them. Yeah. Uh, so many tourists come through. It's really nice. A lot of first timers. Mm-hmm. It's the first time here. And then I enter to tell them what I do and what I'm doing. And I don't jump into magic right away. Yeah. I say, because um, it depends on where they're at in their meal. Mm-hmm. 
um, I'll say, uh, well, hey, I, you know, this is, I'm, my name's Sean. I'm part of the entertainment here, and I get to go around. I make magic for everybody. And are you guys celebrating anything special tonight? Oh, you got a birthday. Oh, you got an anniversary. Oh, no? no? Nothing? Oh, it's your first time here. Oh, well, that's the reason. You know, whatever they say. Yeah. And I say, well, listen, I'll, I'll come back after your dinner, if you like, and I got a little birthday magic for you. What's your name? Elliot? Okay, great. Elliot, I'll keep an eye on you guys. I walk away. So I kind of soften the ground first. Yeah, nice. With them. And then... Sure enough, when I come back 10, 15 minutes later, hey, Elliot, how was your dinner? Hey, you guys ready for your birthday card trick? Let's do that. <laughs> Boom, right into it. Yeah. You know, and uh, and I don't really give them a chance at that point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and at that point, it's so, you know, anyway. That's nice. I like that that adapting. It's almost kind of like a manipulation. I, I mean, it is. You go in, you you ingrain yourself in the party, and then you leave. And you come back, and it's like you never left, almost, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Or going around at a strolling gig, mm -hmm. just saying, hey, boom, 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 here I am. Hey, yeah. folks, how you guys doing? I'm going to be doing some magic later, so, you know, <laughs> connecting with people, introducing mm -hmm. myself. They don't know who I am. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows who they are. Yeah. You know? And sometimes they don't know who they are. Mm -hmm. Some events, everyone's a stranger. Yeah. So everybody feels that same tension I do going in. Learning how to empathize with that and saying, "Oh, do you know anybody? Do you know? I don't know who." You know? And I'll say, "Hey, Elliot invited me here tonight to entertain yeah. everybody." So that gives me a lead in, like you're the guy that hired me to come in and entertain them. So they better pay attention because you brought me in to show them something, yeah. to give them a gift. Yeah. You know, so that's another good little uh, way to go in at it. It's interesting too because, like, uh, you know, people want to be comfortable in settings like that and most people aren't and they don't know how to be and you just kind of have to give them permission to be comfortable so even if you're feeling the same as a magician if you're feeling the same or you're feeling nervous about the gig and you don't know really how you're going to walk up to people and introduce yourself just think you're probably the only person that's being paid to be there and interact with the guests so you have this uh superpower essentially where you get to pretend to be the guy in charge. Like you were saying, you act like you own the place when you walk around the restaurant. And you get to give people the joy of comfort. You give them permission to feel comfortable with other people at the party. And that, uh, you know, you can walk up to somebody, introduce yourself, talk to them a little bit. And if, you know, w when you get around to the magic, you can be like, hey, go grab that person right there. To ask them what they want to say. And you can empower them to reach out to people. Because now you've transferred your superpower to them. Hmm. Because as the magician, people will do whatever you ask them to do. Get up on this chair. They'll yes. do it, right? Mm -hmm. So if you say, okay, uh, here, tap that person. See if they want to... They become part of your uh, objective. Mm -hmm. And they go, oh, okay, now I have a purpose at this party that is more than stumble around and mingle. Right. You know? Yes. Yeah. Which is a, it's a cool little bit of social engineering almost. Yes. And, and introducing people together. Mm -hmm. I'll be doing something for a small group. Another person will walk in. Two or three people will walk into that little experience. Mm -hmm. And, oh, hey, what's your name? You know, oh, have you met so-and-so? Wow, you guys, you're, you're both from somewhere, right? I, I met you earlier. Hey, have you met so-and-so? I introduce people, and then I back out and let them have their interaction. Yeah. Another thing that's really fun to do is to let the people tell me where to go. Mm -hmm. I'll say, hey, uh, 
do you guys know anybody around this party, you know? Oh, yeah, you got to go see this guy. He knows magic. Oh, really? That's the guy that's the magician? Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> so I go over there and I'll say, hey, so-and-so sent me over here because I heard you can, you know, you love magic. Yeah. And I love people that love magic. So let, let's, let me show you something. Oh, great. Boom. So yeah. we're already connected there. And then with there's kids involved, too, I'll invite the kids to follow me around. I'll say, hey, where should we go next? Take us over there. Let's go over there. And then I incorporate them. It's kind of like a Pied Piper effect. Yeah, yeah. You know, where I'm walking through the party and the kids are following me around now. Yeah. It's like pretty soon. You know, it doesn't last long because most parties I do a show for everyone at the end. Uh So it's kind of like the strolling magic is the seduction, the the wooing and the seduction, right? Yeah. And, uh, And then you bring them together and you make love with them and you boom, you know, and it's like, thank you very much. Yeah. You know, and everybody's happy. Mm-hmm. And it's just like Armando was saying last night. I'm so glad he used that uh, uh, same analogy yeah. Yeah, when yeah. he was talking the about seduction. his experience doing strolling magic. Yeah. You know, wooing them and making love. And, you know, it's what we do, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's this beautiful exchange of energy. Mm-hmm. And, and magicians, male or female, are the dominant party in that. We have to take the lead because other people don't know to. Yeah. yeah. Well, and they're not hired to either. Exactly. People, you know, come to a party. It's like, oh, God, here we go. I got to go to this party. I really don't want to be here. And some corporate events, it's like, I can't wait to get out of here. Yeah. You know, people are like, oblig- ob- you know, they're obliged to be there. Yeah. So uh, whatever we can do to uh, hold them there and then create moments of... of uh, Worth of, it. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, yes. So... It's nice when you can draw a group of people together and get like huge responses. Yeah. <gasps> wow! And everybody else in the room is looking. Yeah, yeah. You know, I did a grad party this past spring, and as soon as I arrived, all the kids were busting at once. Mm. So once the kids got loaded in and they all swarmed on my table where I was set up, and over the top reactions. Wow! Oh my gosh! And I think I only did like one effect. Yeah. And it was like, whoa. I gotta be here for like a couple hours here. This is too strong at first to you know work these kids like this, but they were really into it. Yeah. So I said, um, I so I said, okay, yeah, I'll run around, and have some food, and I'm gonna be here all the next couple hours. I just miss them. Yeah. You know, hey, let's see. <laughs> I gotta pace myself here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's only like 50 of these kids, yeah. right? But uh, they were so much fun. They were so into it, and yeah. I took small groups in front of the banner and did that double exposure effect Great. with them yeah. and then uh, and then I kind of and then I said hey listen at the end I'm going to do this big finale for everybody y'all come over mm-hmm. and I again re-invite them back to the table and that's a great way to do a strolling gig is go around and say hey listen at the end of the hour I'm going to be doing a show over here come on over here or uh, if I'm working tables I'll say hey you know in about 10 minutes I'm going to work working at this table y'all come over and see this table mm-hmm. so I'll go to all the tables around and it'll be a corner table and I'm sure enough when I get started at the corner table I'm like hey here we go boom 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 using the same street skills yeah. I learned but in a really kind and gentle way to mm-hmm. invite them into this experience and pretty soon you got a nice crowd at a corporate event with you know 30, 40 people around you, yeah. including the people sitting there, mm-hmm. and party planners and people who book me, that's what they want to see. Yeah. And they want to hear them laughing. They want to hear a big woo and ahs and boom and wow at the end. And then everybody walking away with a smile, scratching their head, like, wow, that's the greatest thing we ever seen. Yeah. You know, so creating those scenes and moments of magic are important, you know, for 
what we do now. So yeah, work in those kind of events, you know. Yeah. So yeah. What are some of the What are some of the things that you think about when you're putting together a set? So uh, whether that be your street set or you're at uh, a corporate gig, how do you structure that that routine that you're going to do at the end of the night or to make the hat? Well, I mean, I have my set, mm-hmm. right? Is it the same for... Pretty much. Okay. It's a closing set of yeah. cups and balls. Well, when you saw me at the castle. Yeah. You, you saw the whole thing of the mm-hmm. cups and balls. And uh, did I, I don't think I did the knots with the bottle production at no. that set. I was closing. I had two different sets I was alternating with. So at a home party, I have, you know, and, and corporate parties, I can do, you know, a nice 40, 50-minute set mm-hmm. with everyone an after-dinner show is really nice. That can be a nice 40, 45-minute set. That set's pretty much etched into into a pattern. I, yeah. I've got that, I don't want to say etched in stone, because I leave it open. Yeah, of course. I also like to leave some space for letting the audience tell me what they what's appropriate for them. Yeah. Oh, it's their anniversary. Well, this is the special a moment. This is why we're all together here, to celebrate this. Yeah. And so I have special magic that I can do for an anniversary, the anniversary waltz. I have a nice handling for that. Boom. Leave them with that memento. Create that moment. Let that simmer for a while. And uh, birthdays, guard trick. Let that go. Let that person shine, you know. And um, let that be a moment in the show. Sometimes that is the show. Yeah. So it depends, you know. Um, audience consideration is the answer to your question. What dictates how do I set up what I'm going to do? Because mm-hmm. I know how to woo them and bring them home. But I also like to leave space for them to play. Mm-hmm. Give them a chance to interact and sh- let them shine too. I like the idea of doing magic where it happens in their hand. You know, torn and restored card. Put the pieces in their hands, squeeze them. They say the magic words. They make the magic happen. They open their hands. <gasps> you know, everyone's they're freaking out. Everyone's freaking out. Yeah, I backed off. I'm not saying a word. Yeah, yeah. You know, David Blaine taught us all that, right? Mm-hmm. And the art of astonishment teaches that. Yep. Don't jump in with a joke. Back off. Let that linger. Let that simmer. Let it sit. You yeah. Know, let them experience that. So. Okay, I'm cracking up on a bottle. <laughs> How you doing? You yeah, good? please. Okay, we will fill that for us. Thank you. Okay, we'll make a little toast here. So you, I've heard you, I've listened to all your podcasts, and it's really nice. I've met so many, well, I haven't met them, but I've listened to so many new guys who are so inspiring to me, you know. And uh, and I've heard you say that you've tried working the streets. Yeah. And uh, it, it's not your thing. I loved it. I oh, loved did. it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I had a. It was an easy gig. I didn't need to do it. I wasn't hungry, um, but it was a way to work on my chops and get out and have something to do on the weekend when I wasn't. Because I I I worked um, I worked one day a week. It was on a Saturday. There was a like a this big market opened in my hometown. Uh, on the waterfront, there was this beautiful, oh, nice. um, uh, I want to say dock, that's not what it is. Uh, 
but whatever. Like a river walk? <laughs> yes, I mean, it was a river walk. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So okay. I went ahead open, and my uncle uh, was, I was almost kind of a pitch man, honestly, because my uncle, I would set up in front of his booth. Oh. And he was selling uh, wooden rings and wooden stuff that he's, he's a phenomenal sculptor and artist, and he built these beautiful accessories and little things. Nice. And so he turned my wand. He, uh, I was wearing some of his rings and stuff. So I would go through the show. I would do the show, and then I would go, you like this stuff? He's right there. You can, you know, do oh, this. Oh, great. Um, so that was fun. I, I, it was kind of to support him at first, but I enjoyed doing it. And uh, <clears throat> But it was a way to work on my chops and make some extra cash because I was in college. And uh, I didn't really have a, a quote-unquote traditional college experience until my senior year. Mm-hmm. Um, I was... I've always been like an old man, and I was like, parties are dumb. I'm going to stay in and, and smoke uh, my pipe and drink scotch. and yeah, Study not, and write. Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, this, that's all it's dumb. I'm not going to go waste my time. Uh-huh. And then my senior year, I was like, oh, I fucked up. I, I, should, <laughs> I should be having fun. Yeah. <laughs> But um, that was one of the things that I would do to get out of town, get out of my college town, and go back home and do this nice, fun little thing. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and I, I really, I really enjoyed it, and I, and I got super into it. I got really into it. I, I studied uh, Gazzo. I was watching videos of Gazzo online, and I was like, "Fuck, this guy's amazing!" So I, I bought one of his pouches. So I have a Gazzo Jibissier. I got. I contacted Gary Animal. He had stopped making the Gazzo cups, and I was like, "I really want a set. Would you mind?" And he was like, "Okay, fine." So I have. I think I have the last set that he ever made oh, wow. of the Gazzo cups. Nice. Number one hundred one on the mm. turn on the inside. jumbo size, right? Yeah, the, the big, big ones. the big wow. ones. Yeah. And uh, I got the I got the pamphlet, and I watched the videos and all the stuff, and I was like, and also um, there was. There's this cool little spot in downtown Monroe, which is where I grew up, and it's it's like the arts district, and it's a it's like a block, and there's these little museums and stuff, these art museums, and um, one of the guys there was this organizer of this gallery walk every once every two months on a Thursday night, and I was like, all these people are walking around. Monroe is filled with uh, old money, white people, and very poor black people. And this is the night to be in downtown Monroe because all the old money white people are drinking and walking around on the street mm-hmm. looking at the art. And this guy who owns this gallery doesn't mind if I stand out in front of his thing and do magic because he, he's friends with my parents and we were, you know, he nice. supported my magic thing. So that's why I got into it. And I was like, okay, well, that, that, sounds, that sounds great. I'm going to do it. And uh, I, I just jumped in head first. And it was super, super fun. And I remember, I remember the first time I did it. Cause like, I've always been one of those people that when I practice, I totally, like I was upstairs uh, in my mom's house set up and I was just going through the whole thing and just imagining every scenario of like what heckle I could get or what line I could throw out. And I was like really animated in the the pursuit of it, so that I felt comfortable going out on the street. It's basically fake it till you make it. That's what I was doing. And Sounds I went like out. Good rehearsal. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but I went out and I remember there's this one guy uh, and he was in his like mid 50s and his girlfriend or wife was probably 10, 15 years younger than him. And she was uh, very plastic, <laughs> and, <laughs> but they were like talking the whole time. And I just laid into both of them. And it was, I got such a rush out of that. I was like, oh my God, I feel so powerful. And these other people are laughing and, you know, it was crazy. And I was like, all right, this is fun. I really like this. I'm in total control. I can do whatever I want. And so, yeah. And um, and that was fun. And I was just kind of, I would basically jam and then do cups. I didn't have a show. Okay. And the people were literally walking past me to go into the thing. And so I was able to go, hey, do you want to see a couple of magic tricks, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then there was no structure. But then I would end with the cups. And I'd, I'd taken Gazzo's end, you know, his hat lines and stuff and tweaked them and changed them and mm-hmm. appropriated things as I saw fit at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then I, so I would do the, there was no show until I did the cups. And then it was a show. And then I did the hat and I would get some money and that was fun and i was like okay i'm gonna do this uh and so i did and then i sort of developed a a show that it it started small and got progressively bigger as people Mm -hmm. i never worked surrounded because i was on the river walks my back was against the river and it was on the Mm -hmm. the edge and so i had a semicircle of people nice Uh, Mm -hmm. and that was nice but yeah i loved it it was great yeah did you have to go out when you didn't really feel like going out yeah yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's not as great. <laughs> Especially in Louisiana in the summer. Oh, yeah. You know, on I the water, imagine. too. Yeah. It's like very hot. Was it an evening thing, though? At least the sun was low and dark. The, the and... gallery thing was an evening thing. And that yeah, was great. That sounds nice. But yeah, it evening. was the, the river market was uh, Saturday from 10 a.m. to like Ooh, 3 p.m. Yeah. So direct one. sunlight. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to be doing that. It was fun. I had a great time. Yeah. But that's that's why I stopped, is because towards the end of my college career, my personal life got uh, awful. <laughs> and so I was like, I don't want to drive back home. I don't want to perform. I don't want to do this. So I put it away. You're having too much fun having your senior year of college, right? That's true, too. You know, and that was, that was a, yeah, a different thing. So my I was in a relationship that was falling apart. Um but trying to keep it together by sheer force of will and then also having these college experiences and trying to like you know do college do four years of college in a year and there was just too much going on plus finishing up the degree and all that stuff right i was like i just don't have the time or the energy to go and be a performer right um so i got burnout on it do you have i mean you have to have gotten burnout at times in your life oh yeah yeah um but I think that, you know, I just work on something else, you know, I'd work on the business aspect of it, or I'd work on, uh, you know, different routines, a stage show or a stage routines. I enjoy that idea of doing that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, uh, and where I would just, I love learning card tricks. Yeah. I have a whole library of books and I would love sitting to grabbing a book or a new book yeah. I'm always buying new books. It's crazy. And I love reading. Yeah. And I enjoy sitting at the cafe and drinking a tea and reading a book and learning. 
And um, so I spent a lot of time doing that. And I would learn tricks just to learn them and I'd show them around for a few months and, and then I'd let them go. Yeah. You know, discard them and just not discard them, but let them go and stop performing them or see their effect or whatever. Some, some, some of that is just for magicians. Yeah. Some magic like that is for magicians. It's very hard to find material that really plays for a lay audience mm-hmm. that they want to see. And, um, you know, for example, a couple of years ago, I started doing the bunnies, mm-hmm. sponge bunnies. Yeah. Okay. I'd spent, you know, what, 40 years, whatever, doing, you know, technically demanding what I think is cool good, magic, yeah. good magic, right? Why don't these people loving it, right? Yeah. And, uh, I saw a friend, he works in the fair industry too, and it's like, he's doing the bunnies and he's just not selling it. Mm-hmm. And I'd heard Johnny Paul did the bunnies. I have another friend who told me about another guy who did the bunnies in the restaurant. And I've heard the bunnies over the years. I'm thinking, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to do sponge balls. Yeah. No way. I do not want to have little red foam balls in my hand anywhere near me. Yeah. It's just not my, my, my theme is metal coins, metal cups, metal wand. You know, metal is what I work with. So, a sponge, but the bunnies, I saw that I finally got some Goshman 3D bunnies. Yeah. And then I met with Bob Sheets and I said, Bob, let's, let's jam on the bunnies. Yeah. Teach me the bunnies. Show me what's, what, what, how to do this, you know. So, he gave me a basic routine. I started doing that and I simplified it. it you know, kind of changed it for what I was doing. Yeah. And it's one, two, three phases. And then in their hands with all the little baby bunnies. Mm-hmm. And I was working at fairs. 4-H kids love bunnies. Yeah. And families love the bunnies. The kids, the little 12, 13, 14, 15-year-olds, I don't care if it's boys or girls. When you put the bunnies in their hand and they open them up and there's a whole handful of baby bunnies, using the right lines, mm-hmm. you know, uh, not to be overly suggestive, but at the same time appropriate, it's like, oh, shit. They open their hands and they scream. Yeah. And now I do it at the restaurant. Oh, I added a little uh, tip from Dr. Sawa and his Genie magazine, mm-hmm. um, which is a great magazine. Genie magazine is over the top. About the past 10 years, I've been digesting that thing every month. I'm, I think I'm like eight months behind in my reading schedule. I can never keep current with it. But Dr. Sawa had a nice little bunny production out of the hat, sponges out of the hat. I'm able to incorporate that now to produce the bunnies, yeah. to give them the rabbit out of the hat. Do you kids want to see a rabbit come out of the hat? You do? You know? And sure enough, you know, I pull a little couple sponge bunnies out of there. And anyway, now I have to say that that's one of my favorite effects at the restaurant to do and at the fairs is the bunnies. Yeah. Because it's the response that people get, you know, how they respond is just so over the top mm-hmm. and it's so fun. And I think that gets back to, you know, a question that I had brought up, or I thought that it's been tossed around a lot about art and entertainment last night with, you know, Armando. And, and, uh, you know, I heard a quote that years ago, and it might have been Max Maven that said this, uh, entertainment gives people what they want. Art gives people what they didn't know they wanted. Yeah. So I think you can have a nice healthy blend of those two things. Mm -hmm. But in order to be artful, for me... I have to be entertaining first. Mm-hmm. I have to give them what they want, and then maybe I can show them something that they didn't know they wanted. Yeah. So, as an entertainer, which mm-hmm. is my primary job, uh, I want to get the maximum 
entertainment response from my audiences, I'm going to do the bunnies. Yeah. You know, and I'm going to have fun and they're going to have fun and they're going to love it. And it also sets the tone because the theme of my show is magic fun. Mm-hmm. Magic fun with people. And that goes back to the old days. Uh, me and Tommy had this thing called MFWP. We were going to rule the magic world, right? When we were younger, we were going to go to the magic symposium and show our, wave our flags and uh, magicians for world power. <laughs> <laughs> How delusional is that, right? That's so magicians nice. for world power, MFWP. It became like a little thing. And then I, at some point in my 20s, I just must have changed magic fun with people. And then that's become the evolving theme of my show where the people can make the magic happen. Mm-hmm. Magic happens with them. It only happens with them. Yeah. Really. Mm-hmm. I mean, so so as an entertainer, you know, uh, that's my primary purpose is to really, you know, create a good time for people. And then at the same time, if I can interject something poetic or words of wisdom or, or humor mm-hmm. or whatever that might be, to be artful about that and put the really nice decorum on it, it'd be nice, nice package that I can sell and make money. Yeah. You know? So, which is my primary purpose now. Yeah. Is to make money. Yeah. You know, I just, I, I, I was, uh, when I was younger, I didn't care about money. You mm-hmm. know, uh, when I was in my 30s and I had a kid, I needed money. Yeah. I uh, still was kind of disdainful about it, but in my 40s, I needed money and I didn't know it. <laughs> I'm in my 50s now. I need money <laughs> and I want money and I love doing gigs for money. You yeah. know, it's, I don't, you know, people say, oh, it's not for the money, it's for the fun. You know, I always said, if I wanted to make money, I'd be a get a real job I'll be a lawyer or a doctor you know it's not true I'm a I'm a highly skilled highly paid professional entertainer and I love it I'm yeah. getting I feel like I'm just now starting to become the best of who I'm gonna become yeah you know so a magical money making machine right on <laughs> that's what I am have you heard the phrase GTFM get the fucking money yes I was passed on through the bar school okay. of magicians. The, I have heard that, yeah. Yeah, I was really surprised, you know, Bob Sheets and Doc Eason and all these guys and, you know, the bar magicians, J.C. Wagner, I might have learned it from him. But, yeah, we're here. I go to work some nights and it's like, GTFM, get the money. And uh, and so, hey, bum, 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 thank you very much. Did you enjoy that? Did you like it? You know? <laughs> yeah. How much did you like it? You know, whatever the tip lines. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Making them organic. Mm-hmm. The restaurant magic is kind of like doing that street thing inside. It's the same kind of, you know, fun character. But uh, on the streets, the pitch lines are really important. Yeah. You have to say, hey, look, people, I do this for the fun of it. And the more money, the more fun. <laughs> so how much fun do you guys want to have? Yeah. So, um, but I love booking big gigs. I love doing bigger projects with other guys and writing bigger contracts. I've been able to do some of that work. I love collaborating with other magicians and other performers. That's really fun. You know, I get to work at the Orpheum Theater Mm -hmm. in Phoenix with a friend of mine and his assistant, an illusionist. They do an illusion show. And I did the uh, uh, MC and the one-man show and then the... uh, gifts at the end for the corporate party that they were having there it was mm-hmm. a great event and we got paid really good money and um i'd like to do more of that kind yeah. of collaborative work it's where i really would like to do so I, I can be hard to i can be difficult to work with though 
Really? Why? Yes. Um, because I like to prepare. Mm-hmm. I like to plan. I like to rehearse. I like to script. I like to really make it as best it can be. All that rehearsal time that you spent up in your room doing your street show stuff before you went out there to do it, yeah, that's the kind of stuff I like to do. Mm-hmm. So I tell myself I'm either doing a show or I'm getting ready for my next show. Yeah, and um, I think that, that I think Henry Ford, you know, the secret of success is in preparation. How? And it's really a sign of my commitment. Yeah. How committed am I to doing this? Yeah, I don't want to just go in and repeat the same old thing. Oh, it's just a client. They just got this thing going. Let's just go in and do our show. And I have a friend in Phoenix. He's very hard. He's like an old dog. And he, he's in, that's my illusionist friend. I love him. His name's Craig Davis. Mm-hmm. Hello, Craig. Listen. Um, but he doesn't want to change. He's got his one-man thing going. And he won't. he's very difficult to work with because he, he doesn't want to change. He yeah. doesn't want to mix it up. Yeah. On the other hand, I work with Tom Frank. And he's totally about mixing it up. Totally free, free flowing, and it's like, it's look, best. dude, can't we just get something on paper? Whatever, man. I'm just gonna go out and do my stuff. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> this is our, this is our show together in the Peller, Tommy. And we gotta work on this. You know, this is I'm months in advance and setting up a Google document and exchanging <laughs> ideas. And he's like, whatever. I'm just gonna go in and do it. And I'm like, oh my god. And the night before, we're writing this script intro and. And so we each have different styles. Yeah. And I'm learning now in the past few years especially just to be let people be who they are. Yeah. And not try to control every little detail. When did that change? And why? I think seriously it changed about six five, six years ago, five years ago. I kinda like lit off my grip off the world. Even my own world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like I don't need to micromanage my own life anymore <laughs> or yeah. anybody else's life. I don't know what's good for magic. I can't see. You know, I've heard you. I heard you talk in your podcast about how you'll see performers who are less than mm. doing, you know, less than work. Yeah. And uh, we want to confront that. We want to avoid that. We want to, uh, you know, we want to um, inspire be- better magic mm-hmm. for people. But I don't know what that is mm-hmm. for them. Yeah. It could just be where they're at on their path. Yeah, totally. And it goes back to hey. The forest would be quiet if only the best birds sang. Yeah. So let the there be, let there be bad magic. Yeah. Okay, that's where they're at. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and so, uh, I mean, it does. There is a fine line there where that influences professional work. Yeah. Amateurs going out working for free, doing shows for people that are would normally hire somebody, but mm-hmm. now they're offering their services for free. Mm-hmm. I've lost work because of that. Yeah, you know, and that kind of you know is not appropriate. I wish there was a standard in magic or an association in magic that says, "Hey, we're professional, licensed entertainers here. Mm-hmm. If you want us, I have this thing called the Magicians Men Magical Entertainers Network in yeah. Phoenix, and it's basically five or six guys I can refer for different specialties, and they refer me, and we kind of refer each other, and it works really well. It's great in Phoenix. So um, it's a network guy. We don't take you know, but uh, anyway. Better magic is the goal. Yeah. And and I don't have a problem with somebody doing bad magic. I have a problem with somebody only doing magic the whole time they've ever done. I'm sorry. Somebody do, only doing bad magic the whole time they've ever done magic. Mm-hmm. It's like... it, And it goes back to self-awareness. It's like if that's where you are on the path and that's all you can do, but you're trying to get better. You're trying to understand what there is or isn't about your 
what you're doing, mm-hmm. great. Because there has to be space for that. Yes. And if I see a person doing something bad, I oftentimes don't confront them. I just go, okay, that's evidence of what's happening now for that person in that port of their mm-hmm. growth. How do we as a community kind of get on the same page and go, okay, let's elevate that so that in 10 years, somebody at that guy's level is doing better stuff than what that guy's doing now. Mm-hmm. But he's still at that same kind of mm-hmm. level. It's like, how do we start in at the at the beginning? How do we move the foundation up? Mm-hmm. And it's not yeah. it's not easy and it's not quick at all. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay with that. That doesn't bother me at all. I was just having a conversation with a friend about um, about sort of the different ways to attack elevating magic. And you could do it from within by having hired standards within the community. And you can do it from without by encouraging people inside to go out and do really good stuff and kind of making that more of a goal. And it's been hard because, especially in the last century, some of the best magicians were amateurs and didn't do big performances. Mm, for example, would... like Vernon, I would say, okay. like the like the the head, the spear point of magic okay. within the community, the guy yeah. that everybody looked at as the best mm-hmm. and looked to for advice, was an amateur who wasn't on the level of, let's say, a Delgadio, okay. as far as like. Uh, influencing the public perception of the art. Okay, yes. Mm-hmm. And so that's hmm. that's kind of something that maybe in the next 20, 30 years, there will be more people that are knowledgeable and technically excellent and are also thinking very artistically and are driven to go out and do performances that are original and unique and have a point of view and say something and this isn't Mm. this isn't necessarily about people who are going out and doing gigs gigging and putting on a show are two different things Mm. and gigging is immensely important and that that's got to be strong it's got to be tight it's got to be deliverable um and it has to be alive in the moment but it's much harder to be invited into a situation and do a thing for these people at this time than it is to create a situation and invite people in, right? And that's Mm -hmm. the difference. So these two things can't be, they can obviously overlap, but they're they're very different animals. Yes, that's a good distinction. There are plenty of people gigging and doing phenomenal work gigging, Mm -hmm. but there's a bunch of, uh, there's not, people gigging aren't necessarily well-known in the public, mm-hmm. right? And even the people that we look up to aren't necessarily well-known in the public. For example, well, maybe maybe I don't want to give an example, but I'll, I'll, let's say this. Matt King is easily acclaimed as one of the funniest magicians in the world, one of the most technically proficient magicians in the world, one of the most original, creative, uh, just, I mean, he's amazing. Everybody looks at him as being this phenomenal guy. Right. And unless... A layperson has been to his show, they don't know who he is, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of yeah. thing. It's like, and I'm, I'm not saying that he needs to change what he's doing, but it's just the right. idea that, like, uh, across the board, magic to the public is either uh, a sequin vest or a rabbit in a hat or their weird uncle or the best magic show they've ever seen. Mm. But that's three to one, mm-hmm. you know? 
And that's that's where it's like, you know, I think as a whole community, we all need to go, all right, there's a bunch of people doing really great work, but still we have a long way to catch up to other forms of art. Hmm. And it's just that kind of just self-awareness that I think needs to be talked about at least. Because mm-hmm. that's the only way that it moves forward. I can yell and scream in an empty room as much as I want, right. you know? <laughs> but uh, it's just kind of all getting on the same page. And, and what I found is that you don't have to change anybody. But if they have the thought in a way that they wouldn't have, that's, that's literally all it needs. It's just more people going, is this good? Is this as good as it could be? What else could I do? Right. If you just open up those three questions to yes. any magician, yes, magic yes. jumps forward. Absolutely. And that's the essence of what we should be doing as individual performers and magicians and entertainers, absolutely asking those questions. And that's why it's important, I think, to have the collaborative community feedback Yes. so um, that we can get honest feedback from each other and help each other to grow. Yeah. Um, I think that's what's great about the Magic Castle. Mm-hmm. And you were, and you really threw me off because when you walked up with Billy Goodwin, there was nobody at the bar. Yeah. And I was like, hey, Billy, let me show you this trick. And I was, I went into this Ace production and then, you know, I kind of flashed or whatever. And <laughs> then I was using it as a transition into the, an Ace routine uh-huh. and I did it. And I said, so what do you think? You know, how can I, what do you like? You know, what do you, what do you think about this? And he's like, well, the opening is no good. The production was no good. And, and I thought, well, it's, you're just saying that because it's yours, right? It's his, <laughs> I wanted to do it because it's his thing, you know, it's his yeah, production. Yeah. The Hold the Mayo Base production? Was that what he was Yeah, I forget the name yeah, of yeah. it, but the, the yeah. You, yeah. So uh, he says, yeah, everything was good except for the opening production. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, okay, Billy. Oh, wait, now there's people coming in. I got to transition into show mode. Yeah. Okay, which I'm really grateful you stayed for. Oh, of your course. Your guests and your friends. Um, really nice to be there with them. And because when I when I saw Elliot, and I was like, "Oh, Elliot Terrell? Oh, is that you?" And you're just such a kid, right? I'm yeah, like, yeah. "Oh, wow, how cool to meet you!" And then yeah. for you to stay for the show is really nice. Oh, of course. Um, my point in that is, I went home mm-hmm. that night and I scratched that production. I said, "Okay, that's I'm never going to do that again." <laughs> in that in that context of that routine yeah i'm gonna have to find out some other way and i've been working on that since yeah right so uh i love that about the castle yeah and i ask people all the time uh when i have a couple friends tommy gives Mm -hmm. me show notes when we do shows together in the peller we give each other show notes Mm -hmm. whether we like it or not yeah you know it's like hey you know we're gonna bust each other's chops not really let's do this kindly yeah you know what can i do what didn't you like oh you know this this old cheesy line okay you're right i'll cut that okay uh let it go let's try something new leave space for something else to evolve and um i think that's the essence of humility and learning progressing you know i think that's you know learning and wanting to be better those questions you just ask what can i how can i make this better is there room for improvement? Mm-hmm. Yes, there's always room to make it more, make it better. And I think that's that's another level of commitment that most magicians or most people maybe aren't willing. Hobbyist amateurs mm-hmm. are not willing to ask. You know, they're struggling to learn an Elmsley count. Mm-hmm. You know, they're trying not to flash the third. You know, the card. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, okay, th- you know, that's cool. You know, good. Yeah, yeah. Hold maybe you know, and I'm yeah. all for helping and yeah. doing whatever I can. 
but I don't have. I shouldn't put my expectations yeah. or my standards mm-hmm. for what I have to do mm-hmm. and pose that on other performers yeah. and other people. That's mm-hmm. why I say when you ask me about this micro controlling about how I'm going to do a collaborative show together. Yeah, um, I've done. I did a show with a couple friends, including Craig, my illusionist friend in Phoenix, and we had this really important gig. As if any gig is really important, right? <laughs> How fucked is that? But it was for a lot of money, yeah, right. And I was I did all this work to prepare all this stuff. We were going to make the CEO disappear on the stage uh-huh. in a front yard, and a spotlight operator, and he's going to reappear on top of the stage and or on top of the roof overlooking the balcony and give a speech. Wow. All this pre-planning went into this stuff. The CEO, anyway. Uh, it didn't go off as well, yeah, as I would like. Yeah, yeah. What happens to me? Oh. <sighs> This is this didn't work like I wanted it to. This yeah. video is crap. You know the spotlight didn't work. This guy was stumbling around. <sighs> you know, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna take the check, but I'm gonna. I feel guilty. Maybe I should offer the guy a free show. It wasn't really up to my standards. Yeah, this is this is delusional thinking yeah. on my part. This is not good. Um, I need to say, I'll let it go. Yeah, and I need to say, hey, let there be space here. Yeah. Don't control every aspect of the thing. Let it fill in on its own. Yeah. Leave space for magic to come in yeah. and happen. You know, the force. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, which was a huge early influence on me. Oh, yeah? Star oh, Wars? Oh, my God. Star Wars, yes. I saw Star Wars in the theater, and when it first came out, I saw it like 25 times. I was going to say, how many times did you <laughs> say <it? laughs> The force is with you. And the last, the last one, you know, the force is with me. Yeah. I am one with the force. Yeah. I use that affirmation when I go to do my gigs now. The That's force awesome. is with me. I am one with the force. You know, being a Jedi, carrying that inside me mm-hmm. and shining that confidence and that light and that love mm-hmm. to my audiences, that's been a long thing. And the yoga, the meditation, the hiking, the nature, this, you know, the solitude, the whatever I'm doing yeah. has all added up to that. And music, too, is huge. Music, Armando used it last night so well. Mm-hmm. I don't have his taste. I have a whole another different taste of music that, that like I love uh, practicing with and rehearsing to. Mm-hmm. So um, part of how I develop my character to go on stage is through a very esoteric practice mm-hmm. of doing the rings and the coins and putting on loud rock and roll music and really feeling and dancing and and you know moving with that music. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, and then I warm up. It's like a physical warm up. Yeah. Now my hands are warmed up, my arms are warmed up, my body's warmed up. Now I'm ready to throw my bag in, want to jump in and go to my gig. I've carried that energy with me now. Great. Yeah. That heat, that that light mm-hmm. to carry it and shine it now into my next gig. It makes me more confident when I go to do my gigs. So just a form of kind of an informal training. So or or workout, so to speak, a yeah, rehearsal. Yeah. Yeah. There's technical rehearsals. There's you know, energetic rehearsals, there's scripting rehearsals, comedians, mm-hmm. learning how they deliver those lines and rehearsing yeah. those lines is huge, you know, skill. Yeah. So, yeah. I just, I want to check the time because I want to yeah. make sure we don't. Oh, we're good. Okay, cool. Okay. Cool, cool. Um, who, what are what are some of your, your inspirations when you're, or a, a, as you've grown, what are some of your inspirations? Also, feel free to... Well, women are very inspiring. See, I have women with a star. Mm-hmm. I've had some great women in my life, and Tell I'm very lucky. Um, well, it's interesting because all the women I've met, yeah, 
the major loves of my life, which two of them, <laughs> both of them, have seen me performing. They yeah. knew me as a magician. So I'm performing my magic. I'm in this altered state of hyper shawnness. Yeah. And, uh, and, oh, who's that? Yeah. Oh, he's funny. He's magical. He's, you know, and, um, uh, we get involved and then, you know, five years later we wake up and, you know, it's like, who the hell is this jerk? You know, who is this asshole? Yeah. Why can't he just, you know, be nice to us? Why does he have to just be nice to, to the audience? Yeah. You know, um, that's a huge source of inspiration for me still, you know, the women I've loved uh-huh. and the women I've yet to love. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about, you, you asked this question about women in magic. And um, I think it's a fascinating question. Crystal Sinclair was the jewel of magic. She was one of my, she was a student of, and a friend of Cellini mm-hmm. for a long time. She did cups and balls. And at the end, she would lift the cups and there'd be jewels. And in her final load was a bunch of little jewels, loose loads. Mm-hmm. And she was a really interesting character. Very um, masculine in her energy. But... Um, Wow, what a friend, you know, really. Mm-hmm. Very supportive and honest talking with her as a friend. Mm-hmm. And uh, we met in Zurich. Well, we met before then, but we were both part of that school I yeah. told you about earlier. Um, and then I think, you know, in terms of uh, inspiration, to answer your question, you know, great men do great things for love. Yeah. They want to attain, achieve, or uh, acquire the love of mm-hmm. some woman in their life. Behind every great man is a great woman, mm-hmm. so to speak, that kind of idea. And um, I think Armando's story last night about his wife mm-hmm. telling him that, and uh, I'm not sure, but I guess she passed on. Mm-hmm. He carries that with him yeah. now, and that motivates him. Mm-hmm. That inspires him to greatness every day. Mm-hmm. And it was so clear last night. That was a beautiful moment for me. So um, that's... Uh, I think when younger, when I was younger, there was a certain amount of sexual conquest. Sure. You know, mm-hmm. I used to work the streets because you know, oh, who's she? Hey, I'll be done in about you know, five o'clock. Come on back, you know. Yeah. And sure enough, she'd come back, and you know, sweet girl. Yeah. You know, there was a certain amount of play with that, mm-hmm. using magic to prop myself up to be mm-hmm. bigger than I am, and yeah. then using that to attract women. You know, it was a very interesting thing. I think I grew out of that at some point mm-hmm. um, as I got uh, involved and more committed yeah. to my relationships and got older. Um, music still inspires me. I have, uh, you know, I love music. Music helps me channel my emotions, cultivate emotions, yeah. emotional energy when I want to go and do yeah. a gig or feel good or how I want to feel when I go into a gig. Mm-hmm. If it's a low-key kind of thing, I put on this kind of music. And mm-hmm. Also, I think live music, uh, seeing performers live is just... Last year, I got to see Bob Dylan and Neil Young. Wow. You know, they were both touring for that Coachella yeah. festival thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, they both came to Arizona. And Bob Dylan in a theater, you know, you walk in the theater and it's signs saying no cameras, no shouting out, song requests, none of this, none of that. I'm like, what is this kind of strange? We go in and see Bob Dylan and um, it was like an hour and a half show. Yeah. The band was tight. It was like a nightclub scene. It was really cool. Dim lighting, dim arch lighting. And he just got up there and did his thing. 
think he only picked up the guitar once. He was on the keyboard a lot. It sounded good. The band was great. It sounded good. His voice was really rough at first, mm -hmm. but as he sang, it got really good. Yeah. So that was like, and then all of a sudden, 90 minutes into the later, it's like, okay, show's over, finale. Thank you very much. Good night. It's like, really? That's it. Wow. Okay. Well, that's Bob Dylan. Yeah. He just won, you know, the Nobel Prize mm -hmm. last year. Yeah. That's inspiring to me. That you know. And then a month uh, then um, I go see Neil Young with his new band, mm -hmm. and Neil Young is playing with this new band, Promise of the Real, and these kids are young, they're good. Yeah. Uh, two of the kids in the band are Willie Nelson's sons. Oh wow. You know, Lucas and Micah on these guitars. They're jamming with Neil on his guitar, that old black guitar. Yeah. And I went down to see him at this outdoor amphitheater south of Tucson. Yeah. I was so excited to go down there. I had an extra ticket for a friend. We met. We go to the thing. I get there early, and I can hear him warming up in there. You know, I can't see him, but I hear him. I'm yeah. over by the gate looking in. And so I'm very excited to be there. And then we go in, and uh, we were able to go right down into the front. Our tickets, I had an indoor inside the amphitheater ticket. My friend had a lawn seat, but they didn't check it. So we both walked right through the, into the end, inner amphitheater, took our seats, and there was already a crowd building at the front. I went right up to the front. I stood up in the front. I'm a little guy. I got to get my little space up there. <laughs> Dude, when he came out, and he came out, he starts acoustic, and um, then he brought the band out. And then he straps on that old black guitar, and it just moves me, man. It just rhythm. I mean, it just. He, there's. He says it himself. The body is an instrument, mm -hmm. and when I always stand in music, feeling it live, yeah, in its full sound, not like on an MP3 player with the headphones. You know, mm -hmm. we're only getting like that much, but it was so intoxicating yeah when your body reverberates yes yeah. feeling dancing sweating stomping singing holding up my iphone and taking little clips where i know there's going to be song lyrics and stuff it was so amazing and it was so exhausting yeah three hours wow and an encore it's like oh, is he going to come out again <laughs> yes you know, and it was so amazing, and it's it's it was such a magical experience because I mean I was high for like oh, it was so cool because after the show was over I started driving north back to Phoenix, and I'm listening to Jack, some Jackson Brown. He's got this song called uh, Silver Eagle, uh, the road, and uh, driving up there, which is a great road album if you don't know that Jackson Brown running on empty. If you're ever on the road and you're right. on the way to a gig. It that album encapsulates its showbiz. I'm gonna write it down. Jackson Brown running on empty. Because um, I got to drive back down to LA tomorrow, so. Oh, definitely if you can get a, a version of it. But uh, then I see these buses all lined up on the road. I'm driving on the 10, and all of a sudden I'm listening to this song, and there's like, there's the one guy's bus, there's got, and there's the Silver Eagle, and that's Neil's bus. <laughs> and I'm riding along with next to him, listening to this music on the after the concert, and I thought. You know, why don't I just follow them? I know where they're going to, to Indio. I could just stay on the 10, pull over when they pull over, and talk to Neil, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't do that. I was so exhausted. I had barely made it home that night. But uh, those are inspirations. Yeah. Those guys. Jackson Brown, the songs he writes, man, are just so poignant. And that's when the environmental and the political thing comes in, mm -hmm. you know? 
that caffeine's kicking in. Am I talking too fast? No, you're doing great. <laughs> but I think as magicians, yeah. I feel a responsibility to pull back the curtain, so to speak, so people can look in at the deception that's going on and in our world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, after 9-11 happened, there was, uh, I got pretty involved emotionally with the 9-11 truth movement. Mm-hmm. And hey, you know, what if? Mm-hmm. What about this? What about that? Asking questions, yeah. not knowing the answers myself. Mm-hmm. But I thought, you know, wow, this is huge. This is a spectacular illusion that's being propagated. And I think I got those seeds of distrust were sowed back in the 80s with the Iran-Contra affair and all this secret government stuff going on with weapons and then drugs into the inner city and all this stuff. And and I'm as a magician, I feel a responsibility to like, be aware of this shit. Mm-hmm. It's like, wait a minute. Is that really happening? Are we really doing that? Are we really selling weapons to the... the to the kids in Afghanistan so that they can have a war against Russia and drive Russia out of Afghanistan so we can build an oil pipeline. Is that really going on? You know, movies like Charlie Wilson's War and all these movies and Hollywood has been speaking about it. Musicians are speaking about it. We want to make magic more important. Why aren't we saying something? Yeah. As magicians. So I went to the very first Magic Con and, you know, I was pretty lit up and yeah. I was like saying hey uh, what do you think about 9-11 and people were like whoa dude I'm not talking about that what's wrong with you well don't you think something's going on there and, you know it's like Michael Weber uh, had a great interaction with him I'm like you know listen Mike you're a smart guy and he's like listen if you knew for sure what was going on what would you know what would you do with that knowledge well I guess I'd tell everybody right yeah I was freaking delusional Seriously. And he told me, he says, you need to start all over. Start all over. Thanks, Michael. Michael Weber. It was really profound. So over time, I let it go, let it go. And then in like 2012, I completely let it all go. I just said enough. Mm -hmm. Enough of this fear. Enough of this stuff. I'm done. Yeah. But I still feel like uh, as magicians, even though I was maybe a bit evangelical about it which mm-hmm. I don't want to be um, I still feel like we have a responsibility to point the finger at the so-called weapons of mass deception mm-hmm. you know CNN and Fox and these the beast that sits in every living room and home and almost mm-hmm. every room in the house you know propagating lies and misinformation you know and uh, we're, we're, we're now living with the results of that in our country politically and on a global level now yeah. It's all one world. Basically, we're all one community on this planet. Mm-hmm. And um, me, I just don't want to throw away any more plastic cups. You know, that's all. That's it. If I could just save my plastic cups and recycle my water bottles and be responsible within myself and for what I can control, yeah. you know, my own consumption and money, how I spend my money, we vote with every dollar we spend. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to be deceived by the beast or by anything as a magician I should be awake and aware of those deceptions I know this is way off tangent no please but uh, but uh, but I think maybe that's one way we can elevate magic for me I think that's part of that's one of the ways I can do it yeah. for myself just be socially aware mm-hmm. and when I go up to a group of people who are all wearing Trump hats saying let's make America great again I can poke fun at that I can yeah. 
join in. I can chime in, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I did the cast, so I was doing the money change. Yeah, you know the bills. And I said, "Hey, folks, look this. You know this money. Uh, you know, pff, look if we can just do this, we can make America. I'll say, I said, look, I'll take care of my money. You take care of your money, and together we'll make America great again." <laughs> and these women in the front were like, <gasps> giving me these looks, like you can't say that. <gasps> I was like, "You're right. I shouldn't be saying that here." Yeah. I need to change that line. So I changed it. I said, look, I'll take care of my money. You take care of your money. And together we'll take care of each other. Yeah. You know, that's a nice, loving, egalitarian type of philosophy. Of, yeah. Let's talk about love. People don't want to talk about what else is going on. Yeah. You know, they want to escape problems in the world. They want to yeah. escape that. So I get that as an entertainer. And yeah. So maybe that's another part of the artist mission is to, I don't know, show yeah. that. I think, and I... I always look to comedy because comedians are as vast and as different as magicians are and what they like to do and the style they like to do it and the kind of, you know, the structure that they use and the topics and the things. And, you know, some people are observational comics and some people focus on minutia and some people rant about their lives and some people rant against the government. So, you know, it's like this... You can do short or long, or you can do this or that, or, you know, this topic or that topic, and it's like this whole thing. And through that, you create your performance identity. And so you hear a comedian, and you go, oh, that's that guy. Mm-hmm. And you hear another comedian, and you go, oh, he was directly influenced by that guy. Hmm. You know, you can you can see these similarities. and But by mixing up the different aspects of it, you, you create your own personal identity. And so... You know, to people who go, you know, I'm an entertainer and not, I'm not just a magician, I'm an entertainer. It's like, okay, yeah, but so is everybody else. They're not just that thing. They're also entertainers. You're not accomplishing anything by saying you're just, you're an entertainer. It's like, yeah, great. That's, that's awesome. You should be entertaining uh, if that's your goal. But like, that's not what you are. That's, so who are you? You're a magician. You're a magician. If you're using magic, you're a magician. Okay. Or at least you should try to be a magician. You know? Right. Um, You're an entertainer because you're a magician, but you're a magician. Okay. Right? Um, So, and entertainment is not necessarily pleasant, you know? Like, you can go to my favorite art museum in the world is the Kimball Art Museum in uh, Fort Worth, Texas. Hmm. Designed by Louis Kahn, one of my favorite architects. It's uh, amazing. But you can go in there, and on one wall will be Monet's Haystacks. And on another wall will be uh, a piece from Van Gogh. And on another wall, there's um, The Torment of St. Anthony, Michelangelo's first work. Mm. And then on another wall, you'll see uh, something really grotesque and really disgusting almost Mm -hmm. and looking at it is unpleasant Mm -hmm. but it's sitting next to michelangelo right van gogh monet Mm -hmm. caravaggio Mm -hmm. and you go that is no less valid than any any of these other things it is just as entertaining as these other things but it's not pleasant it's awakening something inside of me yes that is entertainment Hmm. being pleasant i don't think is a criterion of being entertaining. Hmm. 
So you have a very broad definition of entertainment. Yes. Okay. And I've, I've it, never, I've does, never. Go ahead. Does art? How does art fit into that? I mean, is everything entertaining, including art? Yes. Okay. Okay. Art is, yeah. Art a, is art entertainment. Art is a form of entertainment. Yes. Okay. Art is entertainment. Okay. Uh, and anything that is entertaining is giving you some sort of uh, response, some internal response that you can't control, that you have no hmm. control over. Okay. And I, I, I'm blanking on the word, and I don't know why I am, but, but seeing something and having a response to it is entertainment. Hmm. Wow. Okay. For example, people go to watch horror movies. Mm-hmm. And it's fun to be scared, quote unquote. Is it? Is it fun? No. You feel scared, right. but you know you're safe, yes. and that's an irony that you enjoy. Mm-hmm. But in the moment, is that fun? No. Coming out of it alive and looking back on it in hindsight is fun. Mm, okay. Right? I mean, I don't know. These are thoughts I'm just putting sure. into words now. But, like, it's entertaining to do things that are dangerous. When you get an adrenaline rush, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's fun to have that experience, but is it necessarily pleasant in the moment? Like hmm. riding a roller coaster, getting that G-force in your chest where you can't inhale. Mm-hmm. That is not pleasant, <laughs> period. I don't care who you are, unless you're into autoerotic asphyxiation. That is unpleasant, <laughs> right? Yeah. But then coming out of it and being able to breathe again. Yeah. Wow. That was amazing. And how you feel afterwards. The and how you feel afterwards. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and the lack of it. It's like, you know, uh, knowledge and growth comes out of suffering. You're not enjoying the suffering, but you come out of it better because now you can appreciate what it is you have better. Mm-hmm. And all of that factors into what I feel being entertained is. Mm-hmm. It's just wow. giving you an emotional response that you have no control over, pleasant or not. Wow. That then changes the way that you think or feel about the world. Maybe subconsciously, but there is a change. Hmm, wow, that's that's very broad and profound. That's really interesting. Yeah. So, under your definition, suffering is a form of entertainment yes. in a sense. Yeah. So, somebody getting sick yeah. and confined to a bed. Yeah. It's not. Who's that entertaining for? Is for the person that the is person sick. sick those, yeah. And then all the caregivers that have to come in and watch and help this person recover. It might not be entertaining for yeah. the caregivers, or it, no, it is entertaining for the caregivers wow. because it makes them feel something. It may not be pleasant. Right. And here's maybe here's so what's something not that qualifies it. Then? What's not entertaining? Nothing. <laughs> That's Nothing. why I say it's so fucking wow. stupid to say you're an entertainer. Really interesting. Yeah. So life itself is yes, all entertainment. Exactly, because here's the thing. Interesting. If you were inside of that sick person's body, mm-hmm. right? You're in there. I see you in there, Sean. Oh no. You're uh, I'm, I'm sick. looking at I'm you're no, no, looking no, no, at a sick no. I'm man, looking right? at a body, but I see you in there. You're your consciousness inside of your mind. Okay. Right? If you are in sick, if you're in a sick body and you're incapacitated, and this I, this can be horribly offensive and insensitive to some people. That's not at all my intention. But to say, I'm here, but I can also observe my conscious thoughts. I can also step yes. back out of it and look at it and go, isn't that neat? Yes. I'm this creature that's confined to mm-hmm. this space right here. Yes. And is that not entertainment in some sort of way? If you can step outside of it and look at it and go, look at my body doing that weird thing. Yes. Right? Like, if you are about to have sex with somebody... This is totally going to kill the mood, 
But step outside of it and go, look at that. I'm my body is behaving differently. I'm standing in a different posture. We're you know, we're interacting in ways that we don't interact in public. That's a neat thing. Look at that. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Right? <laughs> you know, like now all of that is on top of it pleasant. Right. But you can step outside of it, right? <laughs> <laughs> Not that you should. I'm not saying you should do that right no, before. I think that's awesome. <laughs> All the world is a stage. Exactly. Isn't it? Yeah. Wow. That really adds profound meaning to that statement. All the world is a stage. All of life. Yeah. And I think that's one of the gifts of meditation. Yeah. Is standing back out of myself, mm-hmm. listening to my brain produce thoughts. Yeah. And saying, "Oh, that's interesting. Let that go. You know, yeah. whatever. Let it flow oh, let that the feeling. River. That yeah. feeling of suffering. That feeling of joy. Oh, that's interesting." Yeah, you know, oh, now I'm having this experience. Yeah. Oh, now he's doing that, or or I'm doing that, or whoever I am. And that also so. helps you to let go. Yes. Right. You're yes, not micromanaging anymore yes. because you go. How else would I expect that person <laughs> yes. to act? You know, right. it's like they're doing exactly what they do. Exactly. Why should I mean? Wow. They're being the perfect representation of themselves right now. Yeah. Amen. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, I just don't know if I can stretch my head around it all being entertaining. You know, because. Uh, there's, you know, uh, have you ever heard of this book, uh, entertaining your, uh, entertaining ourselves to death? No, that's the name. Of, uh, oh, amusing ourselves to death. Mm-hmm. Write that down. Amusing ourselves to death. Amusing. That sounds like distraction. It is. Right. It yeah. is distraction. But I would it's, say it's also inter- okay. Go ahead. But then they came up with a, like a 20th anniversary edition of that book, uh-huh. amusing ourselves to death. How every important thing. "Quote unquote important thing in our life: politics, religion, uh, education. It's all couched in entertainment now. Yeah, education. You yeah. know, it can't just be going to school and learning your ABCs this and doing the work. No, important. it's like sitting at home watching Sesame Street and all these characters teaching yeah, yeah, us yeah. songs, and and then we go to uh, church, yeah. and instead of being, you know, having a you know a word or a message and a, some sort of a spiritual experience, yeah. now we're having this religious experience watching this." Icon mm-hmm. give us this show yeah. producing this, you know, Joel Olstein super mega effect. I'm having a thought. Okay. And not all the world is entertainment. Oh, you found something that's not? It's either of? entertainment or distraction. So, huh. what you're talking about, the beast, is distraction. And distraction isn't happening in the present. It's either in the past or it's in the future. Entertainment is happening right now. Hmm. Presency. Or, or being present, being okay. presently aware of what's happening and having a response to it. That's entertainment. Okay. Distraction is having an, emotion, an emotional response you can't control based off of something you think might happen or based off of something that happened in the past. What about something you fear might happen? That's a distraction. Exactly, a distraction. Yeah. Wow. Good stuff. That's interesting. So amusing ourselves to death. Yes. I definitely have to read that, but that's what made me think of it. It's like, yeah, you're right. Is it entertainment? That sounds like distraction to me, which well, is just yeah. keeping you away from the present. I think distraction being. can be a form of entertainment. You know, I think that that maybe uh, we're, we're really, yeah, I, I'm in agreement with a lot of what you're saying there. It's really interesting being in the present moment. Yeah, staying in that now moment and watching all this stuff go on. It is quite entertaining. Yeah, yeah. We are the one of the very few generations who've lived through the millennial shift. Yeah. You know, the, the 80, I grew up in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. I did a gig on, you know, that de- December 31st, 
1999, when it was going to go to Y2K. 2000. Yeah, the Y2K. <laughs> you, you were alive then. I was alive then, yeah. Think of all the generations who've ever lived through in his human history, right? Whenever since. Yeah. There's only been very few yeah. that have shifted through the millennials. Yeah. Right? Maybe that early generation... <laughs> And they were counting down the BC years, like Louis C.K. has that routine where he says, oh. <laughs> "He says, what year is it? It's nine. Wait, I'm 23 years old. <laughs> what year is it now? It's seven. What? We're running out of time. What's gonna happen at year zero? You know, it's so ridiculous, and really absurd. It's so beautiful. But that was a shift. Yeah. Then the calendar shifted to nine, nine, the year 999 to the year two, 1000. And I, here we are at the year 2000. Yep. Man, I'll tell you what. I did a gig that night, that December 31st, when it shifted into 2000. It was like, there was some, it was all these older folks. It was a senior community in Sun City, Arizona. Yeah. The expectation in that room was so charged. I can't imagine. Because I was a kid. Yeah. But like, I can't Strange. imagine being in a room full of adults going... This is it, counting down the 10, the 9. The electricity eight. in the air. Yes. Must have been insane. And I'm trying to entertain them with a, you know, my show and oh, and plus I have this. <laughs> That's I, funny. How do you beat how do you beat the millennials? Exactly. How you do don't. you beat? Come you on, don't. what do you do? You don't. <laughs> uh, I did come up with the happy new year thing, uh trick for it, but uh it was uh, just uh, I guess yeah, I mean, how do we get off on this but in terms of entertainment but <laughs> yeah, uh, distraction, distraction and going back and uh Anyway, we're very lucky to have lived through this. And at this time in history, that's what I was going to point out. Yeah. At this time in history, you know, with our present world situation, with where we are as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as magic people, magicians have came to this point. Yeah. And here we are right here, right now, at the pinnacle of this moment at the GCC, um, or GGG, right? Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> Whatever I said. GGG. My first time here. Mm-hmm. I'm so, this is amazing. I feel like I, I always go to the first events. Yeah. I went to the very first Magic Live. Yeah. I went to the very first New York Magic Symposium. Yeah. I went to the very first Genie Bash. I went to the very first, um, what else did I go to? Uh, anyway, whatever, it doesn't matter. But I'm here now. Yeah. And I feel like I'm, I'm at the cutting edge of history. History is being made at this conference. You know, it really is. And that's one thing I really appreciate about your podcast is, is um, you are taking how blessed are you to be able to, to meet all these guys I know. and to sit and talk with all these people and get all this wisdom imparted to you I know. how did you get this gig man you, you know, know what i was thinking about that i think about that all the time how I immensely bet. lucky and ridiculously silly all of this is yes because um, i get to sit down with my heroes but <laughs> somebody asked me last night well how did you think to start a podcast and i went Nobody was doing what I wanted, mm. right? I was like, I was getting this beautiful experience from a comedy podcast, but there wasn't anything like that for magic. And I was like, somebody should do that. And then I was like, well, who, who, who should do it? Well, I mean, what if I did it? How can I do it? And it was that kind of progression where the whole time I wasn't really sure I was going to do it uh-huh. until I did it and then I was like should I even be doing this this <laughs> doesn't right. feel right I'm not qualified for this uh-huh. um, 
that's another thing is I like I battle with imposter syndrome all the time. Do you experience that? Have you ever? How would you define that, that imposter imposter syndrome? I don't think I've ever heard. That. Imposter syndrome is a psychological uh, occurrence where you basically feel like a phony, where you're like, oh come on, me, I, I shouldn't be the one here doing this thing. Um, hmm. I found that young people have it very frequently, but I've also talked to a few older guys who go, oh yeah. Uh, like I was, I was talking with a magician, and he was telling me about sitting with Vernon. And he's great. He's wonderful. And he was, um, he's a phenomenal guy. But when we were talking about it, he's like, "Oh yeah, I, I, I didn't feel like I should be there. I wasn't qualified to sit at that table and learn from the blah blah blah." And it's, it's all horseshit, right? Like I know logically, I'm qualified to do this, and I could list out the reasons why. Do I feel like it? No, of course not. <laughs> You know, it's like the difference. So are you between, faking it? Are you faking it? I'm, I'm constantly it? faking it till I make it. Really? Always. So this isn't real? No. Oh here's my the gosh, thing. Shelly, and are you just faking it, really? Is that what you're doing to me? And oh, the, my gosh. And this is, this is what I tell people. I say, fake it till you make it, because when you're faking it, you're literally making it. Hmm. There's no difference. Hmm. When if it's like, oh, I don't have the confidence to go in and do this thing. Pretend you have the confidence to do it. Yeah. And then the act of having the confidence to do it has been accomplished. Yes. Right? After the fact. No. By doing oh, it. By, by doing going, it. Oh, I don't feel like, uh, all right, I'm going to puff up my chest. You're doing I it. I have the confidence. I'm going to go in and not be afraid of the consequences. Right. That's all confidence is. Yes. You have just manufactured it in yourself mm-hmm. by just deciding to. Sure. Right? Uh, and so that's that's a, an epiphany I had in college, and it's helped me tremendously. Anytime I go, oh, God, I don't know how to approach this person. I don't know what to do. It's like, what's the worst thing that could happen? They say no. Right. Ooh, no. Oh, God. <laughs> That's entertaining. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they said no. And another piece of great advice I got was any no that you get is just a not yet. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. It's like you haven't maybe proven yourself to that person or maybe that person's not ready to share what it is you want them to share mm-hmm. or... Things just aren't happening, and not yet might also mean never, but that's usually out of circumstance and not out of hard no. It's like either you're not ready or that person's not ready. But there's you can make that happen, potentially, you know. So anyway, that's a, a no is just a not yet. Mm. If you get a no, come back later with a better version of the thing you came mm. with. If you really want that thing. Yeah. It may be the case that uh, you're... As time goes on, you may realize how lucky you are that you didn't get that thing. Yes, absolutely. Because I know that I've lost gigs or I didn't get the gigs I thought I wanted. And it's a good thing I didn't get those gigs. Yeah. I wasn't ready for them then. Mm -hmm. So maybe I'm still waiting for the yet. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 And in the meantime, I can prepare and improve and get ready for those things. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like when you were doing your street magic in Mm -hmm. front of your... Uncle's booth yeah. there? Yeah, yeah. Sounds like a great trade, sh- trade show type of training. Yeah. You know, you're entertaining, capturing a crowd, showing off the wares, and there you go, folks, right this way. Here it is. Yeah. Just as magical as I was. I could just see waves of crowds going to his booth, you know. People, you know, holding out money, just can't wait to spend <laughs> it, you know. It's awesome. So, I think that's uh, one of the things that. Um, we have to accumulate as we grow as magicians, yeah. entertainers, magicians, yeah. Yeah, yeah. is transferable skills. Yeah. You have all these skills here mm-hmm. that are going to 
culminate into something that you didn't expect. Yeah. For me, I feel like uh, I'm very at ease with people. Mm -hmm. Now I can go up to any stranger, any woman, anybody, any group of people. Yeah. And you know, break the ice and hi, and, and introduce myself and relate to them and their mm -hmm. situation and connect with them on some level. Yeah, maybe not for a long time. You know, maybe I don't have to do it for a long time. Yeah, but just to make people put it, put people at ease. Yeah, let them be where they are. It's funny. I feel the same way because of this podcast. Mm -hmm. I feel very comfortable, and you get this huge amount of confidence by just knowing that you can go and have a conversation with somebody. Yeah, and. Um, when you get some people get started to magic because they want to boost their confidence, they want to have this little thing that they can do that builds them up, right? Mm -hmm. But the more magic you do, the more you realize you the more you get comfortable without the magic. Yes, and so you start to get this confidence boost that the trick gives you, and then by doing the tricks, you get confidence that the trick can never give you, mm -hmm. which is just the art of not I don't want to say it like that, but just the act of being present, being with somebody. And right. emoting and empathizing and being mm -hmm. connected yes. in the present. Yes. So that's a, that's a fun thing. But I, mm. I feel very fortunate for this podcast because I practice conversation. Oh, wow. You know? Huh. Did you rehearse this conversation? No, 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 no. I mean, I mean, practice it like you practice a mindset or you pra it's, it's part of who I okay, am now. Yes. Okay. Is it's not, yeah, I wasn't saying, oh, Sean, great to see you. You know, it's right. not that kind of thing. Yes. It's, it's like a part of my existence is having conversations yeah meaningful conversations yeah it was interesting because i've listened to almost i think 50 of your podcasts i'm going oh. in order right oh and, wow and it's really cool so i think i'm up to like i just listened to anyway whatever i think i'm at shane Cobalt. Okay. but i know i've learned a lot about you and listening to these things and i think that your voice has changed yeah. i like the exit uh, the exit tro the exit now that yeah, you yeah. put on there to Replug it really kind of bookends the whole podcast, but mm -hmm. but one of the things I thought about and I'd be listening, I'd be like, oh, I would say this or I would say that, right? Yeah. And um, now here I am, I have an opportunity to say these things to you. I feel like I know you more than you know me. Yeah. And so as I was talking to Alex earlier, I was like, I really hope I can, you know, trust to open up with with you enough to be vulnerable and you know connect with you because yeah. it's great getting to meet you at the castle and now seeing you here yeah and then Theron saying oh you should do this it's like ah. <laughs> <laughs> imposter syndrome right yeah don't you say I, who am i i'm like nobody man yeah. you know and uh <laughs> so uh, i don't feel phony i mean i just feel worthy or not i think that might be yeah. it i don't yeah, yeah. anyway but uh but uh, anyway, I think it's a pretty cool experience now that we've done this. And I hope, you know, I can see, you know, more, see as you progress in your career and yeah. your work. I think it's really cool. Yeah. Thank you. you. Know? I really appreciate it. I'll tell you the same thing Johnny Fox told me. Yeah. You have more potential than you know. And I would encourage you uh -huh. to go and do as much magic as you can. Get that flight time. Start performing in every situation that you can. Mm -hmm. And do what Armando suggested last night. I thought it was awesome. Be a scientist. Mm -hmm. Watch for reactions. Mm -hmm. Learn how to discern reactions. Mm -hmm. It was so amazing how people were applauding because now they figured out the, the how they, you know, him tying those two effects together. Yeah. How it answers the second effect answers the, <laughs> wow. Yeah. You know, so learning how to do that mm -hmm. and learning how to read audiences, um, connect with people, engage and, 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 can, and entertain them mm -hmm. with strong magic and leaving them with a moment. Uh, you're young. You should be going for it all the time, dude. Really. Yeah, I appreciate it. You know, it. so. 
Is there anything else? I we got we're gonna have to head back yeah, down yeah, for the thing. Uh, oh, um, yeah, just be committed. I think is really important. Um, uh, commitment. You know, I think audiences want to see a committed performer. Yeah, I know. I've done shows where it's like I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, oh God, I just don't want to do it. I'm, I don't know if I should do it. I started doing open mics earlier this year. Mm-hmm. The first time I did it, I was very committed to doing it. I went on. It went well. The second night, month I was there for the open mic, I was like, oh, I can, don't know if I want to do this or not. And, I, and then my friend's like, do it anyway. Do it anyway. You'll regret not doing it. I did it. But I wasn't committed. Yeah. And I didn't go well. So um, I think that's one thing that I want to say is, and be willing, for me, it's important to be willing to sacrifice. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like I had to let go of those women to to be where I'm at with mm-hmm. my magic now. Yeah. Magic is my woman. She's who I dress up. Yeah. I dress her up. I take care of her. I take her out in public. And I pimp the bitch, right? <laughs> Come on, baby. <laughs> and I show her off, right? Yeah, yeah. I sell her. I show her off. I bring her home. I take her off and dress her and put her away. And mm-hmm. it's a beautiful thing I have with my magic now, that I, a relationship that... Uh, that will always be with me, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, she is... Uh, but it's cost me. It's cost me relationships. You know, I feel like, you know, uh, uh, I need to have a strong woman with me, you know, who can tolerate my love affair mm-hmm. with this mistress magic. Yep. Saying, hey, you know, sorry I can't spend time with you because i got to do this work. Mm-hmm. And I thought Armando really did a great job last night personifying that you know yeah um and then that's about it i think that and uh and um gosh books keep reading and i'm watching netflix documentaries hero dreams of sushi have you Amazing. seen that one yeah oh my gosh that was great you should watch uh Valaraki. i'm gonna have the to write forgery these. i think okay right make a note of okay. that and also make a note of um the uh the museum in, in Fort Worth, you said? Yeah. Yeah, write that down. I want to make a note of that that you mentioned, too, earlier. So, um, yeah, we did good, I think. Yeah. So we'll do the lightning round real quick because we got to go. Yep. Um, favorite magic book? <laughs> favorite magic book? <laughs> favorite magic book. God, that's bad. Maybe your most beat-up copy. Let's say that. What's the most beat-up book you have? The one that you've flipped through a million times. The one I'm reading now. Jeez. Uh, my favorite magic book. I thought you were going to ask me about the, the the worst time I was fooled or the best time I was that's fooled. That's the last question. Oh, that's the last question. Yeah. Okay. You know, I get a lot of inspiration from other books. Here's a great book for magicians, for me. The War of Art. Mm, okay. Stephen Pressfield. Yeah. You heard of that? I have heard of it. Yeah. That really gets me off my butt. Also, Juan Tamri's work. Great. Uh, the Magic Way. Um I think I just picked up a copy of that. Five Points of Magic has been reprinted. The Magic Way yeah. is really good. It really yeah. explains the path down that path of enchantment to the Magic Rainbow. Yeah. And then to tag that on to the last question, when was I fooled the hardest? Yeah. Aside from when my wife left me and I came home to an empty house, yeah. I was completely stunned at that moment. Wow. That was awesome. What the heck? Yeah. <laughs> Where'd she go? Wow. I made her disappear, right? Yeah. Whatever. That was hard. I was fooled pretty hard on that. Yeah. It's taken some time to recover from that loss, but yeah. uh, I'm really grateful now. But in magic, mm-hmm. I went to the first magic con and saw Juan Tamriz perform. 
And uh, I went there because he was going to be there. Yeah. And uh, the opening night, you know, Michael Weber's like, hey, you want to help me pull some chairs? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the lobby, let's circle him around. Juan comes down the steps. Uh, he's going to sit at the table and do this uh, impromptu set. I was like, I'm not missing it. I'm going to get right up front. And he started changing the cards in front of me. Like, I know card magic. And, mm-hmm. and how is that happening? Yeah. And it's like, wait a minute. And he did it again. And it's just like, you know, the four of a kind change. Mm-hmm. You know, what month are you born in? Yeah, March. Okay, so that's four, right? Three. Okay. All three, right. Bam, and then they're all threes. <laughs> you know? I was yeah. just like, wow, what is going on here? And that whole experience at the first MagicCon just really hammered me. Him, his presence, his magic. When he did the Saturday night show and that concert of magic he did with the triple standing ovation... 300 magicians from all over the world there. Oh, it was amazing on so many levels. And I truly was transported to the Magic Rainbow. And I got to feel with that. I felt like a little kid again. Oh, amazing. I left that room. And Aaron Fisher's over here on the hall. He's like, hey, man, come here. I want to show you something. I'm like, oh, no. I don't want to see anything else, dude. I'm sorry. But I cannot watch any other magic. Yeah. I feel so wonderful. This is amazing. Yeah. And I like the way they also split it up to wait till the next day for him to do the lecture. Mm-hmm. Because I got all night long to swim in that and to dream on that and sleep on that. And then the next morning, get to, get, you know, get to learn yeah. from the master. I thought that was amazing. That's a great formula for magic lectures. I don't like going to magic lectures so much to listen to how things are done. I like watching performers and seeing new performers and and then when they do these amazing things, I'm like, wow, that's really cool. That's great. Oh, and here's and now here's how this is done. Now here's how this is done. Here's how this is done. And uh, I was like, oh, I don't really want to know. I'm know. leaving right now. I'm not I want to leave. In the tricks. I don't want to. I, I want to be fooled. Yeah. I want to enjoy. Yeah. Just what it is. I thought what David Malik did yesterday was pretty cool. He's I like, loved it. I thought that was the, that was the, my, I wish that had just been the lecture. I do too. I know. When he was like, this is some pinky counts and bottom deals, blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's it. Thanks yeah, that explains much. it. I was like, oh, great, wonderful. We and all applauded, like, didn't I we? I know. I was like, yes, that's how it should be. <laughs> and then he was like, oh, okay, I'll tell you how to do it. Which, again, is fine. That's what he was paid to do to come here and do, you know, so yeah. I get it. I understand. Yeah. But, you know, that, that lit me up. I was like, yes, he gets it. Yes. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much, Sean. We hit two hours. This is a wonderful. And what a delight and a surprise. I had no idea. I didn't know you were going to be here, first of all. Right. And then also, like, I, I yeah, this has been a wonderful. And I got some stuff out of my mouth I, I, that was just ruminating. I, I didn't nice. even know that I was thinking. Nice. Well, thank you, Elliot. Yeah, it was really pleasure. an honor to be with you and get to know you here. Yeah, thank you, you so much. Thanks so much for listening to Magical Thinking. If you enjoyed the show, head over to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash magicalthinking, and become a patron to support the show and get access to exclusive content. Feel free to interact with me on Patreon, through the Facebook group, which you can find by searching Magical Thinking, or by emailing podcast at artofmagic.com. Follow us on all the social media channels, and tune in every Thursday for a new episode. I'll see you next Thursday. Cheers.